Morning, folks. Oh, I'm pretty loud as well, aren't I? If I could be turned down ever such um, a fraction, I think that might help all of us. Do keep um, your Bibles open or open them up if you haven't already on page 972. 972, right at the end of Matthew chapter 7. We're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, sermon ever preached. And we're given a challenge about living with the future in mind. Jesus is talking to us or talking to his disciples about how to build a secure future. And I wonder when you think about the future, what you think it might hold for each one of you, what your hopes are for yourself, for your family, for your career, your retirement, your church even. What would make your life a life well lived? And to help us focus on what's important in life, I've often heard the question asked, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? Or what would you like to be written on your gravestone? Because epitaphs can often say a lot about people, can't they? And I came upon one recently of a chap called Harry Smith from Albany in New York, and summed up... uh, a lot of his life, or really the the end of it, uh, and this is true, on his gravestone was written, Harry Smith looked up the elevator elevator shaft to see if it was on the way down. It was. And in today's story, we're told about two men, and they needn't be men, they could be women, but in this story, they're two men who live very, very similar lives. At least on the outside, they're both building for the future. They're both building something significant. They're both building a house in this story, something that they're building to last. And Jesus is saying that this is actually how they're building each one of their lives. And on the outside, we're to imagine that these are perfectly normal houses, very, very similar houses to each other. There's nothing really different about them at all that we hear in the story. Probably very standard houses of the day. And Jesus is helping us to see that these are very ordinary people. They probably wouldn't stand out in a crowd. And we're meant to see them as being people who are just like us. Doing the kind of things that we would do. Going to work, having a family, buying or renting a house. Being involved in the community, watching TV, going down the pub having the kind of hopes and dreams that everyone else would have as well. They're both really similar in that they're living and then they're building completely normal lives. The other similarity that Jesus draws our attention to in the text is that uh, normal life for them and for us isn't always easy. So similar houses in the, in the story, but also very similar storms in life. And, and if you look at verses 25 and 27... We see the idea of these problems and challenges, anxieties, uh, disappointments, sorrows that life tends to throw our way. The winds and the rains, as Jesus puts it, very apt in light of the weather we've been having just over the last few days, although it has cheered up, thankfully, at last. And the Bible is very, very realistic about what life is like. One day, sorrow... The next day, joy, troubles and persecutions from the outside, anxieties from within. 
slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, as Hamlet called them, or winds and rains in the words of Jesus 1,500 years earlier. And these things will be real tests of how well we've built our lives, how secure our future is, both in this life but also in the life to come. Our lives are tested far more in those times of trouble with the winds and the rains and the persecutions and the troubles and the sorrows. And it's then that we can see the cracks start to appear. It's then we can see any shaky foundations that we might have. So two men, two similar houses, similar storms in life, but very, very different foundations. So how can we make sure that we build for a secure future? And just as in the narrow gate and the wide gate that Sai spoke to us about two, year, uh, two years ago, wasn't as long as that, two weeks ago, and, and the good and the bad trees that Jimmy spoke about last week, here Jesus offers two stark alternatives. Either you're wise or you're foolish. There's nothing in the middle for here. Either you hear Jesus' words and put them into practice or you don't. And there's nothing here on the the so-called tolerance of the world regarding religion. There's nothing here of the find your own way in life. One mountain, many different ways to God. Do it if it feels right. Find what works for you. Pick a bit from here and a bit from there. There's nothing about that in here at all. For Jesus, all of that is foolish. And foolish here carries a much, much stronger weight than we actually give it today in the text. It's perhaps more like saying... Uh, Jesus is saying, if you build your house on the sand, uh, you're an idiot. That's how it would have come across in Jesus' sermon 2,000 years ago. And I don't know where you are. You, you may be thinking, well, do you know, I'm interested in Jesus. I know one day I'll get serious about my faith. You might be thinking, you know, I love learning through sermons. I even love the Sermon on the Mount. I love the poetry of it all. I love studying the Bible. You may even have uh, fridge magnets or posters with Bible verses on. Mostly good things in themselves. But here Jesus pulls no punches. He gives a stark warning to us all. He says, if you hear my words, even if you love my words, even if at the end of the sermon you say, lovely sermon preacher, if you do that but don't put them into practice, it's like building your house on the sand, on unstable shifting, untested foundations. And Jesus says your life will eventually fall with a great crash. Your life will eventually fall with a great crash, either now or at the end of all things, because your future will not be secure. One day we will simply fall flat. And in the early 1990s, there was a a horrible car crash on the M4, one of the worst that road accidents that we've, we've ever had in Britain. Ten folk died, 25 were injured. But in all of that, one man was hailed as a hero, and his name is Alan Bateman. Because what he did was he climbed out of his damaged car and he started to run the opposite direction down the central reservation, waving his arms, uh, warning people of the oncoming uh, pile-up. And some folk ignored him, shouted at him, beeped their horns and continued to drive towards the wreckage completely unaware of what was up ahead. 
And what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount, right at the end, is he's warning us of the coming danger so that we can avoid our lives crashing down all around us. And he shows us a better way. He shows us how to build our lives on the rock, a strong, a secure, a tested foundation. And he says that we do this by hearing his words and putting them into practice. It's a call from Jesus to listen well and then to obey. To listen well and then to live well. It's a call to live out the Sermon on the Mount. What we've been hearing for the last few months, it's a call to live lives that bless others, to live in right relationships with God and each other. It's a call to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world, to seek reconciliation instead of revenge, to be faithful in our relationships, not to be slaves to sexual desires, to go the extra mile, to love our enemies, and all of that's just in chapter 5. It's a call to live secret lives of prayer and giving and fasting, to store treasure in heaven, to show that our lives are not dominated by money, to seek first God's kingdom, to trust God's provision for all our needs. That's chapter 6. And then chapter 7 is a call to be non-judgmental, to seek God with all of our being, to enter through the narrow gate, and then to build our lives on the rock. And if all of our theology and all of our learning has no effect at all on how we live, then we're simply building our lives on the sand. We're simply building our lives on foundations that cannot support us when the winds come, when the rains come, as they always will. So these verses are a call to faith, a call to obedience, a call to believe and to obey, a call to a way of life that blesses us as well as blessing the world around us, a call to a way of life that means we show the world that Jesus is alive and that he makes a difference. But it's much more than a call to obedience. The Sermon on the Mount is a call to a person, a call to the person of Jesus, because without this, without Jesus, we can do none of this. Without Jesus, we're trying to please God in our own strength, aren't we? Without Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount is an empty shell of religion. It's the outside of the house, where we project an image to the world of doing well, of praying, of giving, of fasting. But the empty shell of religion only makes our hearts proud. At the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is a call to follow Jesus, to trust him, to go with him through the narrow gate, the gate that leads to life. It's a call to accept for ourselves the sacrifice he made for us on the cross that saved us from our sins, that gave us new life, that gave us a new start as we trust in him. It's a call to build our lives on the solid rock of the Son of God. For there's no other rock upon which we can build our lives, on his life, on his death, on his teaching. And I I was pleased, um, I hadn't conferred with Julie, but I was going to suggest uh, to Julie that we sang the the song that's coming up uh, at the end. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I didn't quite get round to emailing Julie, but it's there anyway. 
Uh, a wonderful, wonderful song. A simple truth. Sometimes we can make things far too complicated, can't we? But on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Everything else, whether Christ plus a little bit of uh, trying to do it in my own strength, or Christ and another bit of uh, another world religion, or a bit of pick-and-mix approach, all other ground is sinking sand. Whether it's hearing the words of Jesus and not putting them into practice, that's sinking sand as well. That's not the solid rock of Jesus and his teaching. So the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through over many weeks is about many things. It's about how to live a life of blessing in the kingdom of God. It's about how to live lives that thrill the heart of God. It's about living so that those who don't know Jesus realise that the gospel is true. It's about building a secure future for ourselves. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. But above all, it's a call to seek Jesus and to love him and to obey him and to follow him. And Samuel Rutherford, writing in the 17th century, wrote an enormous amount of letters, as folk in those days did. And he knew much of seeking Jesus, and he said this in one of his letters. He said, I beseech you in the Lord Jesus, make every day more and more of Christ. Let him have all, and wait for him, for he will come and will not delay. So let me leave you with a question. How are you building? Maybe you are someone who's been on the sidelines or feel like you've been on the sidelines for a while watching. You've been talking, you've been listening, you've been discussing, but you haven't yet trusted your life to Jesus. Well, God is calling you to dive in. God is calling you to taste and see that he is good. Come to Jesus today, even today in faith, and build your life and your future on the only secure foundation that there is. Maybe you've prayed the prayer, if you like. You've committed your life to Jesus. You have faith, but you struggle with obedience. You take little time to hear Jesus and much less time to put what you hear into practice. Well, today, come to Jesus and ask for the grace to listen. Ask for the grace to obey. Because if not, Jesus' warning is stark. Your life will come crashing down before you. And maybe you're striving for obedience. You've heard the words of Jesus and you're striving to put them into practice. But you've lost Christ. Your Christian life has become something of a dull, tiresome duty. You go through the motions because you feel you ought to, not because you feel you get any pleasure from it at all. And again, I'd say, come to Jesus. Come to him again in faith. Ask the Holy Spirit to pour his love into your heart once more. Make every day more and more of Christ. Let him have all and wait for him, for he will come and will not delay. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your warning as well. Thank you that you don't hide these things from us. And Lord Jesus, give each one of us, we pray, the grace to be those who hear your words and put them into practice. Those who seek after you with all we've got. And Lord Jesus, for those of us who feel that we are far off and have never committed our lives to you, give us the grace to do that this morning. For those of us, Lord, who maybe believe but don't obey, we pray you give us the grace to do that and forgive us, Lord, where we turn away from you. And for those whose lives have become dull and dreary in terms of our Christian faith. Lord, we pray that you would rekindle in each one of us that love for Jesus, that you would pour the love of Jesus into our hearts by your Spirit. And we pray this for his glory. Amen.